freaking auto! This, this is Brock and Salk. I don't read the internet, guys. Presented by Carter, Volkswagen, and Ballard. Take the bull by the hands. On Seattle Sports. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. And Brooke Wire, you are. And Brooke, you are. Now here are your hosts, Brock Heward and Mike Salk. Oh, yeah, Brock and Salk, Seattle Sports on 710. Seven wins in a row now for the Mariners. We'll come back to them in a few minutes. Cal Raleigh, unbelievable home run last night. I just, uh, just a bomb, true bomb, 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 bomb. Yeah, that's about as big a bomb as you're going to see down the right field line. So uh, we'll have an extended Mariner conversation this morning at seven thirty. Jerry Depoto will join us at eight thirty. Uh, so a lot of a lot to react to and a lot going on in that world. In the meantime, tonight is our first opportunity to see these Seahawks as they will play preseason game number one. And I got to tell you, Brock. The closer we get to this football season, the more I'm becoming convinced that not only of the Seahawks starting to build Uh-oh. something, Uh-oh. but they may have already built a lot of it. Is, which of your five biases does this fall yeah. under? Biases. Is this recency bias? Is this confirmation well, this bias? This is actually more listening to those of you who played the game and covered the game, I guess. I mean, I, I kind of went into this season thinking that they hadn't done enough, quite frankly, that the defensive line is still going to be a problem, that the defense didn't have enough, and that their quarterback, while good, I don't know if he can you know, get them over the hump and truly be a lead, et cetera, to take this team to the promised land. But I got to tell you, listening to you and Schlereth and Breer and Riddick and some of the guys that really know this game, I'm feeling like, and I'm not saying they're going to win the Super Bowl. I'm just saying yeah. that hearing some of you guys talk about what's out there, I'm feeling better and better about what they've already built, not just what they're building. This was something Mark said to us about the defensive line just earlier this week. And Nuas, who's a, a really good player, I, I just think they're going to be. I think they're going to be so much more active than they than they were. Like last year, they were so much more stagnant mm-hmm. without their ability to get off blocks. So I think they'll just improve. Uh, they'll just improve from that See, aspect. I w- that was just one, but I mean, it feels like everyone we've talked to recently, Brock, has felt better and better about what this defense looks like. Yeah, I think everybody but Burt Breer's son. I mean, yeah, I don't think he was he into was it. I, I think he was out. I don't think he wanted to do any of this prognostication at all. And he, and he knows the danger of, of setting yourself up here. But I'm not prognosticating anything. I, I'm not telling. I don't know anything about this team. I'm just feeling better and better about the fact that they may be a little farther ahead of schedule than maybe I thought they were. Yeah, what you are hearing, I think, from a lot of folks who get their eyes on different camps. I think that's where you like it. I think that's where you start to gain a little bit of trust. Mm-hmm. Is Okay, hold on a second. This isn't just in a in the basement putting lists together. This isn't looking at last year's stats. This isn't previewing the following year's schedule. This isn't looking at you know ridiculous odds and data-driven numbers that just change, especially in the NFL week to week. This is the Riddicks, the Breers, the Schlereths yep. that, that have their eyes on a bunch of different camps and are just saying, oh, frankly, like a bunch of them said last year, Lewis ahead of anybody else. Man, these dudes are talented now. I mean, this isn't this isn't a rebuild. This isn't college football where it takes three, four. Well, used to now you transfer <laughs> portal. Uh, Kalen goes from four to eleven. This is this this you can turn and you can turn quickly. This isn't baseball. It doesn't take three, four, five years, right? You have a tremendous draft class. You get the right blood in there. You get the people that start to believe in it. Yep. And and you can turn your franchise very quickly. And and again, Lewis Riddick was ahead of the curve. He saw it. He saw it on his visit last August. Pete Carroll and John Schneider started to skip around that building last year. 
Like, yeah, there's there's some good things moving here. <laughs> and then you add in some, I think what you heard from Schlereth there, Salk, and what's been your biggest concern? Violence, thump, physicality at the line of scrimmage. Well, can the seat like line like move people? More of it. And, and maybe some of it's going to be on the edge as opposed to up the middle. But with Boye Mafe looking like, I mean, here's what Brewer said yesterday about Mafe. Boye Mafe is drawing Cliff Averill comparisons in, 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 inside that building. Yeah, and, and, and I think like one of the things that's cool about it is both Hall and Mafe are like bigger, tougher, you know, like heavy-handed defensive ends that – you know, theoretically, at least, if they grow the way that the Seahawks hope, can play, turn into three-down players. So that's pretty good. And then Schlereth was talking specifically about Hall. Do I have that cut? I know I do. Hold on. Because what he, what he said about Hall was all... Here, here, here we go. Hall. Like, he's just... That dude... I mean, you want to talk about his his ass starts at his shoulder blades. Like it's just like I was watching him. I was like, "Holy Moses!" Well, he's also got his shorts tucked up into the shorts. Yeah, but I'm like, he reminded me. You know what? You always get these comparisons. He reminded me of when I played with with uh, Wilbur Marshall. I did play with Wilbur Marshall. Wilbur, like he has that kind, those kind of legs and ass. I'm just like, dude, what he was doing. Some of the offensive linemen. There are people spending five to ten in the state. That did less to get there than what he did a couple of the offensive linemen yesterday. Well, don't you like hearing those things? We haven't heard those stuff, those things in ages. It's been like a Collier's coming around. Uh, he did get right. moved back four yards on the yeah, but he's he's starting to get right. it, and we're going to move positions, and it's not any of that. It's like oh, these dudes are big, physical, and mean on the football field. Yeah, and remember Uchenna, you know, you went out and paid and, and you repaid and you extended for the right reasons. And then Derek Hall was a high second round pick. Yeah. I mean, th- this is, you're, you're picking now from the fruit tree of, of different talent. <laughs> you're not picking 28th, trade back, trade back, 59th. I mean, you're picking fifth. You're picking 20th. Right, you're you're picking Hall in the in the top of the second round. Like you're you're picking guys that you know once they get picked off the tree, there's not a lot of other guys built like them. Right now, can they? You know, Boye was high second round pick. Now, can they play? Right, <laughs> and when the lights go on tonight, we're gonna start to find out. Is you know does that same just physical presence show up tonight like it did in the first night of pads for Titus last night? I think I got a little concussed. By the way, me and JP about the same time. What happened to you? Well, well, I just, I didn't have pads on, but I was trying to demonstrate, you know, Jeez. and I was Football talking about, practice? you know, sure, dip, rip, rap, you know, and I had to get in there. So are you get, hitting you know, these kids? Not to the ground. Absolutely not to the ground. <laughs> oh, so that's not a no. <laughs> Were these kids hitting so, you? So what? No, I didn't have pads on. So I was just demonstrating how to get in there, you know, and I'd wrap your arms around. And I think the side of my head just kind of hit. Yeah. One of the kids' face mask. So I mean, I've always said to today, teach someone how to tackle that I know. Yeah, you're not like the not highest me. on the list. Oh no, it's not me. But you know, you get on that football field, things just. Click. You ever tackle oh. anybody after an interception? Tried, but you know, Tried. you don't have any career <laughs> tackles. Uh, I know this D tackle. I think from Nebraska, I pulled down by his pants, like he ran over me, and then, <laughs> and then all I could do was reach and grab, and I think I pulled him. Honestly, like back by his hiney. Wow. Down, so, yeah. I don't was... think I've ever asked you that question. No, you haven't. No, that's pretty good. Nope. That's your only tackle was dragging a guy down by the back of his pants? I think so. Yeah, hmm. I think so. If I, 
Yeah, I think that was about it. I mean, I didn't, I didn't duck away from contact. No, just of course, never not. really, never really got to me. Right, of course, it just, uh-huh. it just sort of worked out that way. It hey, buddy, I was a pretty field. darn good tight end before I was a quarterback. All yeah, right, did you tackle a lot of people as a tight end too. <laughs> I used to smash dudes, and if that dude from Rogers High School is listening, that DN that I basically did what the, what Hall did to guys. I, if you're listening today, I apologize. Wow. Because I did stand over you and say, how many times are you going to let me do this right. to you? Yeah, how you many were very times? tough. You were how very, many very times? tough. Am I how crazy many? to start getting pumped for this team? Not at all. Okay. And I'm so thankful that on a Mariners off night, we actually get to watch this. Right? <laughs> I don't, right now, you don't want a Mariners off night. I mean, right now, this is Pete Carroll. Really fun. I mean, Pete's got to be doing just jumping jacks. He gets excited for the Mariners. And then he gets to watch his, his youngsters tonight go out there and let it rip. So if the Mariners weren't going to play... Uh, let us watch Derek Hall. Let us watch. It looks like Charbonnet is going to play. Who are you most excited to see? Because Hall for me, for sure. Like Derek Hall is the guy I can't wait to see out there. Boy, Mafe is probably number two. Uh, yeah, how much Jackson Smith and Jigba plays is going to be pretty fun. Yeah, that's. I don't know how much be on that list. I mean, he's got to be got to be got to be pretty high up on that list. Don't be like sure. Burt Breer and just skip over Jackson. I'm not he's trying to skip over him. I'm just saying uh-huh. I'm pretty excited to see Derek Hall. All right, we'll come right back with everything you need to know, including the one piece of sound you need to hear over and over again this morning. Stick around. It's next. I'm Brock and Salk. Need to know. 15 minutes past every hour with Brock and Salk. Here's what you need to know. Up first. Well, it probably wasn't the best win of the year, but man, it might have been the most fun, and it had a whole lot of everything. Rookie Emerson Hancock made his debut. Jose Caballero swiped his 20th base. I didn't realize that until they put that stat up on Root Sports. It's like, man, that's a lot of stolen bases considering when he was called up and how much playing time he's had this year. Did it in a key moment last night. And then Cal Raleigh, Brock? Well, he just did what he does best. Here's the stretch. And the 3-2 pitch swing and a fly ball deep to right field. Way back, going and going. And goodbye baseball off the windows of the Hit It Here Cafe. bottom of the eighth inning his 19th home run of the year way out to right we talked about his penchant for big home runs in big situations and he gives the mariners a three to one lead here in the bottom of the eighth inning holy smokes what a shot by cal raleigh it was a pretty good shot 450 to right field pull side like that that, that doesn't happen every day, man. It well, is really hard to hit a ball that long, that far, in that direction. Longest of his career. And I want to say third or fourth longest in T-Mobile the last decade. Shohei at 480 pacing the way. But and what a call by Rizzer, by the way. He's, he's, he's risen my the hair on my arms with that call. Ricky, yeah. good job right there. And he's right. He just, JP gives you the best of that. Right when JP over the course of this season is in the batter's box, he's going to give you a great at bat. Caden Marlowe, we've talked about this again and again, and last night too. Mm-hmm. I mean, his eye and he's giving you quality at bats. The big moment, a penchant for the time is now. Tell me you did not have honestly some of the same late yeah, inning I vibes. Mean, obviously, right there. you did. It's funny though because for the first half of the year, I was saying this earlier, he was a disaster. He came up small in every big moment that they had, as bad as Julio. 
And then, you know, he does it again last night. He's done it a few times recently. Awesome to see. It adds to what was a great evening for Emerson Hancock. He was pretty good. I thought the game sped up on him a little bit, especially at the beginning and with runners on base as he tried to kind of figure all of that out. But once he did, you got to see an array of pitches and got to see that stuff that made him a top uh, first-round pick. The first thing was kind of tough to settle in, for sure. Um, Just trying to slow things down, trying to find a rhythm, trying to get things going. And then Cal did such a good job of just sticking to what we talked about and slowing me down and just making pitches when we had to. Once I get to probably about the third inning, that's when it just felt like pitching again. Things slowed down. You're just doing what you always do and go from there. Tell you what, man, athlete. That little play that he made on the ground ball and the dive and the flip as well. We talk about athleticism and a lot of the other positions. And, oh, Salk, did you mention stolen bases in Cabby's 20? Do you okay. realize this team has stolen 40% more bases than they did a year ago? That's going into last night, 78 bags to 56 at the same point season to season. So that athleticism is up. And, yeah, I certainly certainly enjoyed Mr. Hancock's array of pitches and getting good. through five innings. He was pretty good. Nine of ten now, seven straight for the Mariners. Texas, Tampa, New York lose. Houston, Toronto, Boston, Anaheim win. Mariners still two back in the wild card, one in the loss column, five and a half back. That's it in the division. Here's the second thing you need to know. Preseason game, numeral uno tonight. First opportunity to see these Seahawks and especially the young guys. This is a chance, you know. The guys, the young guys, you always look for them to splash on the special teams so they can, you know, make a mark and, and give you something to, to go on until you can determine, you know, when you accumulate enough plays, uh, you know, under center. So, um, the special teams play really, they give you a chance to show the nature of the kid and uh, how much it means to them and how instinctive they are and how tough they are. And so uh, we're going to feature our guys in those situations. Yeah, I think we're going to get to see a lot of those young guys. Not a lot of Gino or DK or Tyler or Bobby, but mm-hmm. a lot of Derek Hall, a lot of Boy Mafe, a lot of Jackson Smith and Jigba, hopefully as well. I'm looking to see Cameron Young. I want to see Mike Morris. I want to see some of those young offensive linemen. There's a lot to see tonight. Yep, I want to see Jared Reed. I want to see Trey Brown. I want to see some of these special teamers. And, you know, there is coaches have taught me this over the years of tackling because you don't get as much live tackling. So how do you know when guys can really hit? It's what Pete just said. Put them on special teams. right? You, you want to see instinctively. right? I was joking about Ty's team and pads. and Well, I wasn't really joking when I was trying to teach some, some tackle for him. And Pete would have been proud get the head out of the way and everything else. But beyond that, Salk, you do start to see, hey, man, can you just instinctively take the right line? Then can you run full speed? When things are happening fast on punt return and and punt cover and kick cover, like, it shows up. Like, this guy wants it, this guy's instinctive, or this guy's going to turn it down and make a little bit of a business decision. Some of those film and some of those decisions will come in just a few hours tonight. Well, one guy we probably won't see tonight is Devin Witherspoon. Um, he had a little hammy uh, thing again that same leg, different spot, not the same not the same area. Um, How's that uh, happen? It doesn't seem serious, but uh, he's moving around and all that, but we have to just, you know, we got to be careful here. Same you know, leg, you different me, spot. Yeah, you, me, Justin Mora, we pull a hammy. Guess what? We pull a hammy. Like, it's the hammy. But these Ferraris with 12 cylinders, right now it was this part of the hamstring and that part of the hamstring. And, yeah, they're just wound up and wired a little bit differently. Apparently. Uh, let's see. Tonight, game starts at 7 o'clock. Pre-game will be at 4 o'clock here on Seattle Sports. 
Here's the third thing you need to know. Uh, the murky future for the remaining Pac-12 schools, Brock, just all twists and turns. The Mountain West not going to take any action until the ACC does. And, of course, the idea of the ACC adding Cal or Stanford still sounds ridiculous and hit some roadblocks yesterday. <laughs> Meanwhile, uh, Pat Chun, the athletic director at Wazoo, was on yesterday with Bump and Stacy. He didn't sound particularly wild about speculation or anything else. I'm not going to speculate on where we end up. Like I said, all options are on the table right now. Whenever we get to that point, we'll get to that point. Um, you know, whether we're in the Pac-12, Southeastern Conference, Big Ten, or you name the league, uh, the transfer portal is a challenge. Uh, so that challenge has not gone away uh, for any school. He also said they were being ripped apart by economic forces in college football. So rough day. It is, and I don't know if you saw SMU. You know, we talk about the Saudi uh, money and oil money in their fund. <laughs> Did you see what the SMU boosters put out there? No. Oh. Well, they told the ACC, we'll join, and we'll drop $200 million in, and we don't need one cent from you. Just let us be a part of your party. Wow. Let Just us they join. want to improve their schedule? They feel that in some like this is our chance to join the Power Five. This right. is a time with all of this shakeup and all of this turmoil that if we throw all this cash they want to get, and don't they ask they want for to get a back penny, in the good graces. Yeah, can we can can we come aboard? Can we just come to your house? Can we can we come to the frat party? Hey, maybe wow. we'll, we'll pay whatever the cover is. Pay and for we'll throw, play. Yeah, a couple hundred million at you to do it. <laughs> Why not? That's everything you need to know. Uh, quarter past every hour here on the Brock and Salk show. Uh, I did mention earlier, and I'll probably mention a few times today what happened yesterday and is continuing to happen in Lahaina and on Maui. Uh, a spot, Brock. I know you've been there. I've been there uh, a few times. I mean, I just absolutely love the island of Maui and seeing the fires and the devastation. I got a, a buddy of mine who's over there right now, and and mm. their family was moving and trying to get into a different spot so that they would be able to stay safe. Mm. Uh, yeah, it's it's a real mess, and I'm trying to put some stuff together. I don't have full information, probably not today, not till tomorrow, um, but I would like to do an auction of some sort uh, to try to raise some money. So is that if that's something you guys would be interested in, I think mm. I can cobble together – uh, a, a place to stay in your Kihei, and then we'll see if we can find some other things to mix in with that. So maybe tomorrow? To raise a little dough, to raise a little cash. And that's one thing you do see at times uh, through tra- you know tra- tragedy, tragedy and, goodness gracious, 200-year-old buildings in behind that just gone like that. Yeah, and the banyan tree there, and then just oh. people being, you know, there t- over 25 people have now passed away. Oh. I mean, it's a really devastating situation in such a beautiful place and with such great people. So uh, we will uh, have let's more Let's come together to come. a little bit. Let's come to the, yeah, let's, let's raise a little money. Let's okay. do it. We're going to start doing I think maybe tomorrow. And in the meantime, if you just want to donate, uh, I did put up a link on my Twitter at the Mike Salk. All right. Coming up next, the Mariners have now won how many straight? Brock, it's your favorite number. You should get this one. Seven. Seven straight wins for the Mariners. I don't even know what to say next, but it's happening. It's Brock and Salk, CL Sports on 710. This this is Brock and Salk. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. Back in mornings from 6 to 10. On Seattle Sports and the Seattle Sports app. Seven in a row certainly has a nice ring to it, Brock. So does 9 out of 10. So does 14 out of 16 as the Mariners are the best team in baseball since July 1st. Pretty unbelievable considering how things started for this team. And yet, and yet... Again, I shouldn't feel that surprised. This is the team I thought that we would get when the season began. We heard Jeff Passan say very much the same thing at this time yesterday. Like, hey, isn't this what we were expecting when opening day came around all those months ago? Yeah, 
It didn't happen for the first four months, first three months, excuse me. And yet it's worth remembering again that even while they didn't play the kind of baseball we wanted, it wasn't awful. It wasn't. They you didn't know, sink themselves. They didn't destroy themselves and nope. sink to the bottom. And, and they gave themselves a fighting chance by sticking around 500. And now all of a sudden you look up today and they're right in the thick of everything. They are playing differently, as Cal Raleigh said last night. We're just playing better baseball straight up. Um, you know, I feel like our pitchers are doing, you know, they've been great all year. You know, I don't think they've ever you know, been the issue. But, you know, we're starting to put together some really good at bats, um, you know, competitive ABs all throughout the game. And, you know, some guys are starting to click a little more, you know. Uh, and, you know, when you start winning, you start getting hits, you know, the energy gets a little higher. Everybody gets a little more excited. And it's it's a fun time to be right here. There's no right doubt about that energy part, Brock. It's the one thing that I can absolutely say I believe in with baseball. I don't know if it's chemistry. I don't know if it's talent. I don't know what leads to it. But the energy, I think it's just probably confidence. But when they feel confident, you yeah. feel confident, yeah. and it, you can absolutely feel a different energy than you did a couple of months ago. Yeah, along those lines, two uh, two of my buddies have been to some games there the last these last couple games, and uh, we should probably reiterate forty thousand, thirty nine thousand right. on a Tuesday and a Wednesday. I know school's not in session, but that is just outright phenomenal. Uh, certainly some of that, some of the juice of the Padres and their star power and their fans and everything else. But that, I mean, come on now, 40,000 and 39,000. And one of my buddies said, yeah, you can, you could start to feel this juice again. I mean, you, Justin, you were in the building working last night, right? I'm yeah. not going to say this is late September or October last year, but it is starting. That tide is turning a little bit. They filled in the clubhouse, fans filled in the building. You feel it, and I feel it watching from the couch. Like, it's it's starting to turn. The other thing, another one of my buddies, Daniel. You remember Daniel, right? Workout warrior. Oh, of course, yes. Oh, unbelievable. Yep. Train the kids during the, Baylor the guy. pandemic. Oh, Baylor tight end, journalist. Great. Just a great intern here at one time. Just a great guy. Now a triathlete and a strength coach himself. He's like, yeah, I mean, I had great seats, and they were right next to the Padres dugout. And you want to talk about D-O-A, lifeless. Mm-hmm. I mean, there was no juice in that clubhouse. Zero zip, zilch, none. And he said it was weird, man. It was almost like surreal that they're just zombies going through it. <clears throat> and that's what happens when you're five games under 500, not performing, not meeting any level of expectations. And, and have a gigantic payroll and a lot of guys making a ton yep. of money that are just like, well, I'll shut it down for this year and yep. see what happens next year because I'm getting paid either way. I know everybody wants big payrolls. I understand why, and this is not an argument to tell you the Mariners shouldn't have spent a little bit more and maybe brought in a DH, mm-hmm. but it doesn't always work out the way you want it no, to. No, no, I'll give you... But the I'll, Padres and the Mets have to be cautionary tales, don't they? Yes, and I'll give you a little credit on this. You've snuck this in a few different times over the last few months, and you know we'll see. There's still 40-some games to play, and now the games really matter here down the stretch, and I think you've also felt the emotion of these players. I mean, holy smoke, Suarez... I mean, Julio the other night losing his mind. Fired up last night. Suarez last night. They were ready. Both of those guys hopped the top rail, ready to charge the mound after Teo gets hit just so dangerously right in the head. Mm -hmm. Um, But you've said this a few different times. And we don't talk about it in baseball, certainly like we do the other sport in town, the power of youth. This is a young team. This is a young core. I think Jerry, a few months ago, had said to us on the Jerry DePoto show, which will be in about an hour, there's a lot of teams that are envious of our core around the league that would trade and swap. Asked Jeff Passon about it. He's like, absolutely. 
I mean, this is one of the seven to eight best young cores in baseball. Yeah, what did we say earlier? They are uh, they lead the league in war for players 26 and under. And when does that matter? When do youthful, young, and youthful exuberance, when, when does it matter? Does it matter at the start of practice? Does it matter in the first quarter of a game? Does it matter in the first half of a season? When do you think that youth and that age should show up the most and be the most beneficial? And, oh, by the way, last year – Pretty young team, too. And in, in, in between July 1st and August 8th of last year, they were 22 and 11. Mm-hmm. 22 and 11. In 2023, they're a game better at 23 and 10. <laughs> Unbelievable. Right? So for all of the marine layer and maybe some of the challenges in April, uh, you know what should, should be beneficial? Should be. And it's baseball, so there's never a guarantee. But you know where it should be beneficial with your youth? About now. About 100 games into a season. Man, legs are tired. <laughs> My body as a 30-year-old doesn't bounce back the way it does as a 22 or 23-year-old. And that may be yet another component to add into this mix of this team, finding it and finding the energy and that juice and the bounce, playing unbelievable defense here into uh, into mid-August in Seattle. Yeah, and they do sort of keep doing that blackjack thing where they just kind of keep treading water, treading water, treading water until all of a sudden they lash out. And you saw it last night, right? Kind of treading water throughout the game. They score a run early. They're all tied up, and they're just kind of waiting for their moment. And they force you, Darvish, eventually out of the game. He was really good, as he always seems to be against them just yes. every time out there. But they get to him just enough to get him out of the game. They bring in a reliever, and bang. Like everything changes, right? You I mean, know their highest scoring inning of the season, right? Is the eighth, yes. Uh, no, no. By question. like a large amount. <laughs> By a lot. Yeah. It's not the ninth. <laughs> it has some problems in the ninth. <laughs> a lot of traffic in the ninth. Oh. In the tenth. Yeah. Don't worry about that. Yeah, don't worry about the ninth. But the eighth inning, getting to, you know, some of these bullpens, and these bullpens are not the bullpens of old. I mean, these bullpens still have filth, every team in this league, but. The eighth inning is when this team delivers, and my goodness, Cal. Yeah, you know, I've been thinking about the bullpens all around the league, and, and you know, I think that, you know, you and I and a lot of other people who are into baseball tend to get a little um, caught up in the world of stuff, mm-hmm. and for good reason, right? We're watching guys on Pitching Ninja, and he, what is he tweeting out? The best stuff from the best guys. So if you're on Twitter or wherever it is and you're just following highlights, you are seeing and believing that every reliever in the league is ridiculous Mm -hmm. because all you see are these absolutely insane sliders from hell and cutters that break back at 100 miles an hour and things that just shouldn't even happen on a baseball field in those 60 feet and 6 inches. But it's important to remember that if those guys were better and more consistent and had better command, they'd be starters. And you can still get to relievers when they make mistakes, and they'll tend to do that because they're relievers. Yes, they have filthy stuff. Yes, they're throwing harder than ever. But if you can get the starter out of the game, it's still a real positive generally for your team. Even if it just means the other team has to bring in three or four relievers, you get a better chance that one of them isn't on his game that day. Did you see my tweet last night? Um, the picture that I took off of my television? No, I didn't see that. Oh, you didn't? Oh, I missed that. I'm sorry. Oh, go ahead. Pull up my Twitter. Hold on a second. Yeah. I'm so sorry, Brock. I yeah, hate no, no, when I miss your it. stuff. No, don't worry about it. Oh, so, that's the worst. Know, I always feel bad about had that. had a good football practice last <laughs> night. I, had a, I don't know if I've mentioned that a couple different times. I don't know if you hear it in my voice at all, but good football practice. Come back, and, and Titus and I are down in the, in the basement. Um, how cool is this, by the way? This is my family. I don't know if this is cool or sick. But, you know, we come in from football practice, and uh, Haley, Haley and Macy are home from Montana, and they're like, hey, Dad, 
Okay, uh, we're going to finish up, you know, dinner and watching our movie. And can we please, as a family, watch the Johnny Manziel documentary mm. tonight? And I was like, gosh, that just warms my heart. <laughs> Not because of the story. And it was unbelievably sad. And there was great conversation that followed the documentary. But Are you like, going to like yell at Pete about that now, that since you guys had got into it about Johnny Manziel all those years ago? Salk, I am a bridge builder. Oh, good. Okay? I, at this age of my life, I'm trying to build bridges, not blow it's them nice up. nice to hear. And uh, so, yeah, Cal does that. And I immediately saw the pitcher's reaction in real time. As I think a lot of people did, right? He leaves that slider right over the middle. And usually, and in Cal's previous at bat, it, it was similar, right? He had a slider, and he just was way ahead of it. And he pulled it 400 feet, but foul. Mm-hmm. And what happens, Salk, after nine, 99 out of 100 at bats, when we see somebody hit a 400-foot foul ball home run, what happens? They strike out. They strike out. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it just happens. It's just how it goes. <laughs> so that's 3-2 pitch. Here comes that slider because I'm sure that pitcher is thinking the same thing. You know, here comes the strikeout, and he leaves it middle middle, and Cal damages it. And look at the faces. Yeah. Look at the faces in the crowd. One of the, my favorite articles back in the day is Sports Illustrated. Of course. Look at the face of the umpire. Look at the face of the catcher who can't even watch the ball. He's looking at it on the big screen. Obviously, Cal. And uh, I just thought that that moment yeah. was it's so pr- it's pretty stinking, well pretty so well stinking, captured. So Here's the stretch. Cool. And the 3-2 pitch swing and a fly ball deep to right field. Way back, going and going. And goodbye baseball off the windows of the Hit It Here Cafe. Cal Raleigh, the big dumper, with a two-run blast here in the bottom of the eighth inning. His 19th home run of the year. I don't know whether Jared Kelnick is going to end up as a player or not. I don't know what's going to happen. We'll wait and find out. But if his only contribution is the nickname Big Dumper, mm. it will be an unbelievable <laughs> contribution that he's made to Seattle history. Yes. So can, can, can you, you believe me? Rick Riz is yelling the Big Dumper in a key moment in the eighth inning after a okay. home run? So I, I can't imagine that that's actually happening. I got an idea. And usually the we let these germinate during, during break. Okay, but I got an idea. Can you play that for me one more time? Yeah. I just got to write down a couple things. Okay. Go ahead, one more Here's time. Here's the stretch. And the 3-2 pitch swing and a fly ball deep to right field. Way back, going and going. And goodbye baseball off the windows of the Hit It Here Cafe. Cal Raleigh, the big dumper, with a two-run blast here in the bottom of the eighth inning. His 19th home run of the year. Okay, that's good. That's good. Okay. You know, Morris played these games with us, right? Like she's made us trade places. She's made us, you know, play these different games. She comes up with them. Not with her cat. You make me sound bossy. She doesn't have a cat, everybody. She has a dog, okay? (laughs) Bruin's a wonderful dog. And, I, you know, she walks the dog, and I'm sure she comes up with these games. So, Mora, I would love – we're going to turn the game around on you. Oh. Yep. It's on you, Mora. (laughs) And not right now because Blue 88's coming. (laughs) But at some point over the next two hours, you are going to make that home run call. You're going to do it. And you're going to say the big dumper. Because I think this is going to be the key that unlocks it. Wow. I you were mentioning this... my dog and talking about dumping, and I didn't know where you were going. Nope. So you, I... you want her to like write down the exact yes. call, yes. and then we want to hear it. That's right. We'll give like a little crack of the bat, yep. and then see if Mora can can give a Rick Riz-style call. Are you going to transcribe this the for me? big dumper. Yeah, absolutely. I just did. So during break, <laughs> I'll tell you, you can practice. Yep. And, I, and, and I think this will honestly be the avenue to get you to say the big dumper naturally. 
with confidence. With yeah. confidence. And like just like mean it. Like let her rip. You that's know what I'm saying? That's a really good idea. You well, must well, be Well, I told Salk along the lines of him never expecting Riz to hear it. I never expected to get a text from my dad, mm-hmm. who's a Red Sox fan, when they were playing them last week. And he just said, freaking big dumper. <laughs> <laughs> Never expected to get that text. Yeah, uh-huh. I mean, who does really? <laughs> who, whoever does. Here's the stretch: three-two pitch, cow whatever you want to do. But I'll give you the gist of it, and then more. I do think this is really going to be the the turning point. Wow, it's, it's going like, to be big. It's therapy. <laughs> therapy. That's exactly okay. right. Exposure therapy. Like if you have a phobia, you slowly work <laughs> right. up, right? You Exposure look at a spider. Yeah. You're around a spider. It's you like they do with the those spider. dogs that like won't go on linoleum floors or something, right? Like you just yep. do it slowly, yeah. and mm-hmm. uh, we think now you're finally ready to For say big, big dumper therapy. Say it, I just don't say it to your liking, right? Well, well, you don't say it confidently. That's right, because you <laughs> yes. feel uncomfortable. We can okay. sense Correct. your deep internal <laughs> strife and discomfort as you're trying uh-huh. to say it. Uh-huh. Let's do blue eighty eight. This is Brock and Salk's Blue 88. Blue 88! Blue 88! We take you to the field as Brock Heward breaks down three football questions as only he can. Now here's your hosts, Brock Heward and Mike Salk. All right, Brock, question number one, Blue 88, as we get ready for Seahawks game, preseason game number one tonight. Burt Breer joined us yesterday. There was one thing he really wanted us to know. Yes. And he wanted us to know that those comps, remember, these comps happened in April of 22, about 16 months ago. Even on draft day, I believe they said this comp about Boye Mafe. But yes, Bert was really clear. Folks inside the building, uh, they're liking the direction of his career and the name he threw around with it. Here was Bert yesterday. Boye Mafe is drawing Cliff Averill comparisons in, 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 inside that building. Yeah, and, and, and I think like one of the things that's cool about it is both Hall and Mafe are like bigger, tougher, you know, like heavy handed defensive ends that, you know, theoretically at least, if they grow the way that the Seahawks hope, can pl- turn into three down players, you know, and so, yeah, I mean, like I said, like I was saying earlier, like the interior still definitely needs some work, but. Um, there's no question that they feel really, really good about, you know, where they are at defensive end with their young players. You probably don't remember that, that Boye and Cliff were comped throughout the draft. Oh, you do? You do remember that? Okay. Mm-hmm. Sometimes your memory is a little... I do remember that. It's a little spotty. And, and people were using that comp because physically there were almost exact measurements at the combine, like 6'4", 250-pound guys. Some of their path was similar. Right, Cliff was a Purdue Big Ten kind of outside edge rusher. Boye was a Minnesota Big Ten. It wasn't Michigan. It wasn't Penn State. It wasn't Texas. They didn't grow up playing high school football in Florida and Georgia and California and Texas and refining every one of their skill skills. Right, and I was I was watching before our practice, a high school practice, and one of the dads there played college football, and he said to me, "Brock, he's like, isn't that amazing? Like the skill level of these kids today. Like I'm watching our eighth grade teams, and their skill level was better than our our high school teams. I'm like, it is awesome, but I do wonder. His name's Justin. I said, Justin, I wonder how much of it though is they get to their ceiling faster. And, you know, yeah, they're awesome in eighth grade, but how much better are they as a junior or senior from a skill set standpoint? How much of their ceiling have they already reached? And with Cliff and Boye coming out of college, it was the same. Boye was second, Cliff was third round because the ceiling wasn't met, right? The refinement wasn't totally there. There was still some question maybe for Boye of instinct, but man, that's a, that's a good comp. And if he can start to play as fast, that's what Cliff did. When you think of Cliff Averill, you know what you think? 
And that dude got off the ball. And he played fast. And he wreaked havoc. And uh, hopefully we see a little bit more of that tonight in preseason game number one. All right, question number two. Another thing we got from Albert Breer yesterday is talking about how important he thought it was that Gino went out and individually met with all the wide receivers at their place, right? That he went to visit all of them. He had written about that a few months ago and said he just had never seen or heard of a quarterback doing it. How important is it? You know, I'm going to use a word we don't really use with the NFL very much. When it comes to play uh, with what you talked about, one of the places you love in Maui, of generosity and adversity. Like when tough things happen, we do get to see the generous side of this country and the people. We don't talk about the word generosity in the NFL with players like, oh, and their leadership and, and how giving are they? How gen- We talk about toughness and sacrifice and leadership. But you know what's a part of leadership? Generosity, man. I got you. And you know, when you get paid and Gino got paid, got paid more than the 10 years prior in the NFL combined. And had some coin in his pocket. You know what he could do? I got you, man. I'll come to you. I'll come I'll come see you in Texas. No, I got you. I'll fly to Florida. No, but I got you. I'll come to Carolina. Uh, you're good. Don't go anywhere. It's on me. You know? Like, I I'm, I got paid, and, and I can do this. <laughs> and uh, I don't know, man. There's a part of me that when I think of guys, I bet John Kitna was probably the most gen- – not probably. John Kitna was the most generous teammate I ever had. And guys loved him for it. I mean, you could just – you could – I don't know, man. That's a – that's a gift that, that you have. That's a that's a blessing to others. And when Bert was saying that, I was like, you know what, man? That's pretty cool, Gino. It really is. Not only just as a as a as a dude like come and see me. I, I got you. I got it covered. And I and I bet that wasn't the last of the generosity. I bet there were probably dinners, and I bet there were other things that came along with it to show that yeah, I, mean, I may have got paid, and QBs get treated differently. But let me be generous in my time, and certainly some resources too. All right, question number three. Who do you want to watch tonight, man? Preseason game number one. Who's on your watch list? I'll give you a kind of outside the box one, and it was struck by something that uh, the Pete Carroll said yesterday. Pete had his media scrum, and give me a cut number 17 from the head man yesterday. He's such a versatile athlete, he can do everything. You want to know who he's talking about? No, I want to, I want people to listen no, to okay. it. Yep. He's such a versatile athlete, he can do everything. Um, we're trying to make him available for us at, to help us at safety. We know he can play corner. We know he can play nickel. He's playing dime. He's doing everything. So we're just trying to just make him as well-versed as possible in as many areas. And he seems to be handling it well. He'll play a lot in the game. Is that Julian Love? I mean, is that a little bit of Julian Love, a boundary corner? Notre Dame a corner his whole life, as he told us earlier this week. And finally kind of got moved to some safety there with the Giants. We've heard rumblings and maybe in matchups he could play a little nickel, a little dime. No, not Julian Love. That was Kobe Bryant. Kind of excited to see Kobe Bryant at these different spots. Frankly, I'm kind of most excited, and I know it'll be vanilla. It'll be whitewashed a little bit schematically. You're not going to show your cards in the preseason to everybody, but I do want to see some of this versatility on the back end. You know, you want to see the front end? You want to see Derek Hall, you know, put somebody out? I want to see the edge. You, you, you want to see put in the pen for five to ten years? Well, not really. Uh, you, you just want to see the level of contact there. I kind of want to see the versatility on the back end. My eyes will be away from, I'll just say this, my eyes will be away from the football a lot tonight. I'm not going to just be tracking the ball. I'm going to try to as best I can watch those other components. Watcher. You're amazing. You're such a great football watcher, knowing not to just watch the ball. You're competitive. I like it. It's a, uh, today's version of Blue 88.
Don't put Brock in press Are you going to do some of that competitive football watching? That's Blue 88. Maura's thinking about her call right now. Maura, yeah. I'm going to give you the break. You're going to have some time. Don't you worry about it. I was writing it down. I, I didn't trust you to, to get it word for word for me. <laughs> wow. I'm going to do little, it. I want to do it right. Not a lot of faith. Well, I make a little it. crowd noise. Make sure she gets the full experience. Right. Yes. Really, you know, buy in the sound. Right. Drop. Turn around shop. Whoa. Turn around shop. Whoa. Uh We all remember when DMX said turn around shop. Uh One of the great moments in in rap history. Uh huh. Stop. Well, Maura did an amazing job of that. So she was all over that. It was unique for sure. Yeah. Can you watch the game? I couldn't go to Seahawks training camp last year without someone talking to me about DMX. (laughs) Can you watch the game without watching the ball? Can you, can you, can you have the focus to do that at times? Not the whole game. Just Saul, don't tell me. Why you got to do that? What? Jeez. You asked me a question. I answered it. Well, I'm a, then I'm going to encourage you tonight, Derek Hall or Boye, just, just don't watch the ball. I don't want to do that. Just watch them explicitly. Eh. <laughs> Probably not going to do that. Okay. <laughs> I mean, like, I know I can do it when I'm, when I'm there. You can. Yes. It's easier when you're there. I can do it in person. Oh, really? Yes. I can oh. absolutely do that in person. I can do that at practice. I will do things at practice. Like when we go out to training camp, I'll be like, mm-hmm. all right, I'm going to watch, you know, Jackson Smith and Jigba this play and see where he goes. Like, I will do that. I can do that in hockey. Sometimes I'll just watch a shift and oh, just watch one guy for the entire shift and kind of see where he goes and what his path looks like. Uh-huh. I can do all of them. I mean, it doesn't make any sense in baseball, but I can do all those things in other sports. Right. I find it hard on TV with football just because of the way the camera follows the ball. No, that's true. I, it makes it much harder it for does. me. It does. The nice thing is, I don't know if you, the, the remote controls of today, you know, you can, you can rewind. Yeah, I don't, I don't know if you that, know that or mine not. Mine are but, terrible. That is the one problem with Fubo. Seriously. As much as I've enjoyed Fubo and I love, you know, it's uh-huh. less expensive and it works pretty well. It, it is terrible for DVR. You okay. would hate it. Okay. It, seriously, it's like, do you, you guys have it, Justin Moore? Don't you think it works much worse for DVR than like DirecTV or Comcast or anything? I never had it before, so I don't know how oh. it's Dude, to. it's awful. It works like, fun it, for me. It works terribly. I don't, I don't care for it. All right. Coming up, Brock, uh, as we continue to get ready for tonight, before Jerry DePoto joins us at 830, we are on to number... 12? 12, yes. Number 12 on our most intriguing list. Who will be number 12 and what position will he play? That's next on Brock and Salk.